Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. How are you doing? Uh, my head is very hot. Oh really? I won't lie. I've, I've I've had a stressful day. Have you? Oh dear Phil. But it's all it's all turning uphill now. Uphill? Downhill? Which one's the good one? Uphill. Uphill. I it's think all, it is. It's, it's an up. It's not an uphill struggle. My fortunes are. I don't know. Looking you're walking up. uphill. <laughs> the future's looking bright. <laughs> but it's downhill because if you're on a bike, up, it's down. slides really fast. <laughs> Whichever one's the good one, it's all going to go good because we're doing the Super Baby Brace podcast. So this is a bit of therapy for you. Yeah, this is going to oh. soothe me. Already, I can feel my spirits lifting. Well, that's nice to hear. Listeners, I hope this will soothe your weary souls, too, as we discuss the latest and greatest cinematic releases. <laughs> Which are, Laurie, what? Uh, well, actually, we're only going to do two this week. Yeah, I could have gone to see The House with Will Ferrell this morning, but you know what? Life's too busy and too short, so I, I didn't go. Is that terrible? I don't know. It doesn't look like a standout comedy, but maybe we're wrong. Maybe well, I'm we're looking wrong. forward to it. I always want to see the stuff that he's in. So I'm, It's not the film looks bad. It's just that... You know, there's too much. There's too much to do. I've got to actually like earn a living, and yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. earn me a living, as it turns yeah. out. Uh, okay, uphill member or downhill, whichever. Sorry, one's yeah, no, let's be positive. Which ones have you seen? I have gone to see a wonderful Japanese animation called In This Corner of the World, and I've gone to see Baby Driver, the new film from Edgar Wright, the guy behind Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. He's written and directed a new film starring Ansel Egglehort, I think it is Ansel Egglehort, yeah, and uh, Jamie Fox and Kevin Spacey. A lot of fun. Guy drives around. Getaway driver. Should Boom. I tell you that I've seen that here or should we do the thing where I pretend I haven't or what? Let's do the pretend we haven't thing. So, so I haven't seen that. So great. That's something to look forward to. And we're doing what we've been watching this week. I'm going to be covering Enemy of the State, the Will Fifth paranoid uh, thriller drama thing. Will Fifth. <laughs> what? Did I say Will Fifth? Fifth? Smith. Will Smith. Yeah. Will Fifth. And what, have you, what are you doing for what we've I'm going to do Avatar, the blue guys. Uh, oh, running around that Pandora. Avatar. Yeah. I got confused. It James Cameron's. With what? There are five sequels due to be released or something? Something like that. I think so, yeah. Great. Judith, thanks so much for the drinks. She's coming back in with a cup of coffee. That's nice, isn't Superstar. it? Superstar. Hey, say hi, Judith. Hello. Lovely. Thanks so much. And we're also, you've got a must-seen slash picture perfect. We haven't what done that name? feature in so it. long. Yeah. Uh, one of those two. Listeners, this is a scene in a film that is just so perfectly realised uh, in one specific way that it always sticks in our minds. And when it pops up on the, uh, on the screen, we get a kick out of it every time. And Phil has got one for us from Lord of the Rings. Yep. Fellowship of the Ring, believe it or not. Good stuff. And then we've got your emails and tweets, of course, towards the end of the show. And we may even slip in a mini movie news, an informal movie news. Tiny, teeny, like one little bulletin. Annoying entertainment news things that happens in the commercial break. For <laughs> the one minute before the, on the, the rest of the film. I hate yeah. that. I always wonder who gets those Here's jobs. Here's your quick update from Katie. I, I love that. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're looking fabulous on the red carpet. Let's hear what her cat thought of her outfit. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Back to you. Enjoy the film. Nice. <laughs> Uh, listeners, thanks so much for tuning back in. I hope you enjoy the show. Should we get going? Oh, yes. do we need to say the bits of business? Bits of business. You can email the show, superbaileybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. If you'd like to support the show, which we really appreciate, you can reach uh, a page on Patreon, superbaileybros. What is it again? <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros. Yeah. Go there, find out all the information. Thank you very much to those who are supporting us. It really means a lot. And that is it. Yes. Let's get moving. All aboard. Did that last time? Oh, Come on, uh, make it so. Make it so. Engage. Very good. <laughs> so, Phil, a lot, a lot of other people have already said this. It's not an original comment, but don't you think Ansel Egort with his sort of baseball jacket looks so much more young Han Solo than Alden Ehrenreich is likely to? Ooh, controversial. I disagree. No, I thought he looked like a giant baby. <laughs> Do you actually think so? Very yeah. astute for the title. Which is very fitting because he is playing the titular baby driver of Edgar Wright's new film. He's written and directed it. It's his first film shot in America, believe it or not. Oh, really? I didn't know that. 
Scott Pilgrim was done in uh, Canada. Oh. Hot little tidbit. It's so off. fascinating. Yes. I mean, my mind's reeling with other questions. Whereabouts in Canada? Hmm. He's uh, Vancouver. I'm not, I'm not being serious. <laughs> Keep going. This film stars Ansel Elgort. Egort. Ansel Egort. It's a weird name to Egort. say. Egort. Ansel Egort. I don't know. <laughs> he was in The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, he was the hunky guy in The Fault in Our Stars. He was also in the Divergent series, I believe. He looks like a weirdly... sort. It's like, you know when you do a drawing and you do hard lines and then you might get your thumb of the, and like smear the edges a bit so it looks a bit softer. He looks like uh, Josh Hartnett, but someone's done that to him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he sort of is handsome and like big and bold, but also kind of a bit soft. In a very soft way, gentle. yeah. It's kind of... He's it's a weird mix of everything. I tell you, he does have a bit of effortless cool going on, though. And I thought this reminded me, it's it's like Michael Serra, the cool version. It's like <laughs> what Michael Serra maybe hoped he would end up like and what people thought he might be like. Very true indeed. I, I completely agree with that. Also in this film, you've got Jamie Foxx, you've got Kevin Spacey, you've got John Hamm. Mm. You've got an appearance from Flea in there as well. I know, yeah. Blink and you miss him a bit. And you've also got Lily James, who's playing somewhat of a love interest for uh, Baby. She's familiar from Cinderella. She played uh, the title role in Kenneth Branagh's uh, live-action version. And she was also in War and Peace. She's been in loads of stuff. She's kind of a rising star at the moment, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Good British talent. So this film is all around, basically, uh, this guy, Baby. His name is actually Baby. He is a very young guy, but he's unbelievably wicked behind the wheel of a car like unbelievably good driving and of course kevin spacey this kind of mob time boss has sort of managed to hook him in so that he's going to be his getaway driver for all these different high seat pulls off with various different crews and so we meet baby he's sort of heading towards getting out of this sort of conundrum he's in with kevin spacey and maybe being able to escape the getaway lifestyle but of course there's one last job that he has to do Mm. And there's a question, you know, is he really being forced to do this or is it kind of what he loves as well? Yeah, and it's sort of playing with that whole idea. And then you've got him sort of meeting this lovely girl who's played by Lily James. And we've actually got a clip of this moment. So yes. should we listen to that clip and then we'll talk a bit more about it? Yeah, in a sort of classic American diner, right? Mm. So you're just starting your day or did you just get off? Oh, I don't know if I ever get off. They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a, like a chauffeur? You drive around important people? I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> so when was the last time you hit the road just for fun? Yesterday. Oh, I'm jealous. Sometimes all I want to do is head west on 20 in a car I can't afford with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music, and the road. I'd like that, too delightful yeah and definitely kind of going for that edgy cool guy dark mysterious man isn't he yeah and it kind of works so you said to me when we saw the clip it's a bit of a classic feel you think yeah i definitely feel like this film is trying to pull on the classic ideas of the genre of the the story of a getaway driver the guy who has to do one more job to get out but is it the last job or is it going to go right all those sort of things you've got a thief with a heart of gold kind of going on there's lots and lots of little references to other movies kind of james dean rebel without cause but at the same time it's got this brand new sparkly uh, almost sugary candy coating to it which well, Edgar Wright provides style, yeah, yeah totally sure. Laurie you've seen this film what did you think of it well do you want to do you want me to say it now I'll let you know listen the original gag I was going to pull was to pretend to feel that I hadn't seen it and then give him my plus one or minus one at the end but you want me to tag me in now yeah I want to tag you in just right off the bat yes or no oh you can't ask me that because I want to say mixed actually Phil 
Right, interesting. I think I probably agree, but I think overall, I think this is a film you need to check out. It's really a lot of fun almost all the way through. And it's interesting, I reviewed Free Fire by Ben Wheatley recently, which a lot of people said was a great action genre piece, edgy, nice ideas. Basically, this just proves to me that Ben Wheatley will never hit Edgar Wright's heights because Edgar Wright wrote it, directed it, and there's so much style and flair to this. It's a genre piece kind of done right, isn't it? Yeah, I think I probably enjoyed it more than you, guessing from that little answer, though. Mm-hmm. I've just realised there's one key thing which we're missing out, which we need to say about the plot. This guy, Baby, he's got tinnitus, or tinnitus, as they say in the film, yes. which means he's constantly got a bit of a, a humming. I don't know if you could play it. Actually, no, that's not. That's cruel to our listeners if they have actually got tinnitus, isn't it? But it's like a little high-pitched beep in their ear all the time. And so this guy, the way he copes with it, he puts in headphones and he listens to music constantly. All the time. And he kind of lives his life to the rhythm of a song. Yeah, well, and he in, there's even a suggestion he might need the song to drive the way that he does and do things the way that he does. And I have to admit, that was probably my favourite thing about the film, Phil. I thought there was really bold because it requires Edgar Wright to choose a non-stop selection of hits, number one, that are nice to listen to because the soundtrack almost never stops, right? And then he also has to blend the action and the dialogue and the flow of everything to the tracks that are happening. And it's a real testament to his skill that he can make that feel fairly natural, actually, and just like part of the character and part of the story, whereas other directors, it would become painfully obvious. Like, you know, I've said about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I found there's a comparison here because everyone's talking about that amazing mixtape that uh, Chris Pratt's character has and he plays it everywhere. I thought that was actually kind of tackily done and they were playing on nostalgia uh, to hit the beats and choosing lyrics that match the action, whereas Edgar Wright chooses like funky tracks that are really, I can actually imagine someone really liking from an older period and matching stuff to the rhythm and the tone, it's, it's a real sort of masterclass, I think. And it really does intertwine those ideas, not just in terms of the music, but also in terms of the rhythm of the acting and the actual scenes, and then also visual cues and gags that link up with the song. So in one of the uh, opening parts of the film, you see uh, Baby as he walks to get some coffee for his little gang yeah. of uh, heist guys. And uh, while he's walking through, the song is talking about soul and rhythm and music and brass. And as he does it, there's little, there's literally signs that say soul, rhythm, brass, but kind of come out of nowhere unexpectedly so it is literally the whole film is timed to the music but very cleverly so it almost doesn't get annoying at any point i've said almost we'll come to that later and i think i agree with you on the almost <laughs> i'll tell you what last thing i want to say is that one thing again i think it's testament to edgar wright but also ansel Egor, who i've got to say i think this is an amazing breakout role for him phil i don't know what you think about that but he manages to communicate on screen the kind of teenager that we've all thought we were or what desperately wanted to be you know exactly what it's like when you put the earphones in and you and you feel cool because the music is cool you're riding the music exactly in but your no life. way do you ever actually look as cool as you think you do whereas ansel Egor actually does like he moves around and does things in such a way it's complete like a sort of fantasy being revealed on screen it's very clever Okay, so here's the things which I think are great about the movie, and then I'm going to say a couple of things that I think aren't so great. Do it. Number one, I think the driving in this movie is great. And the filming of it is amazing as well. Exactly. That's that's what kind of my point, actually. You just took it out out from under me. (laughs) The way it's shot is fantastic. It makes the car look like it's gliding when it's slipping through the roads, slipping through traffic. You get a real sense of scale. Edgar Wright knows when to pull back so you can see the context in which this guy is driving. Rather than just being a blitz of fast cuts instead it's kind of like a story piece and it sets you up as some sort of roadblock is ahead and then you see the kind of result of that as a sort of setup and punchline sort of situation within this great big car chase also some of the camera angles that edgar wright chooses are just 
brilliantly chosen i really love there's one scene in the very very beginning of the film when you see uh, baby do one of his getaway drives and you see in his little uh, rear view mirror just a fleet of cop cars coming yeah and it just means that there's so much excitement and tension and fun in these little car sequences and it just i think possibly it might be the best car chase sequence i've seen in it's, that first little bit even it's better a than drive of intent no I, I agree with you completely phil and i was really blown away that although there are interesting angles and really creative staging of set pieces it's it is really quite remarkable how the camera doesn't feel like it's there actually even though it ha- that is all that's happening because that's how you film a car chase right because it zooms start, past stop 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 exactly stop. and you, and it has to be really clever in the way it tracks and and works and what he does is he foregoes the kind of thing that other directors might do which is to have the camera in the car moving around lots of long takes just to storyboard it exactly as you said so you always see a turn and you see the risk of the turn you see the execution of the turn uh, you see the outcome of the turn and it, that is just repeated all the time in a really exciting way and on top of that you also see the people in the car reacting to what's going on which yeah. i think is a crucial thing trying to stay cool yeah when they're slightly freaked out by what he's doing when they're panicking and they're sort of worried faces t- pop up when you see baby's face reacting to what he's doing and the stakes that he's feeling it makes you feel it i think it's a really well done sequence that is repeated throughout the film these little driving moments that I think are done impeccably. So that's one thing which I thought was brilliant. And really, really brilliant. I agree, Phil. The other thing which I thought was really good about this film was the characters. I really like the characters. There's a whole host of different characters that pop up, sometimes for just one scene on their own. And yet you can clearly see that Edgar Wright, the way he's written them is with meaning and intention so that they're not just there for no reason. They're not just there to spout some words and get rid of some exposition. They are there to be characters within this, within this world, to flesh it out, to make it feel dangerous and exciting and dynamic. You've got all these different criminals who pop up and join Baby on these various different heists. And they all have something to contribute, I think. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I mean, all bar one, I think, were superb. I thought Jamie Foxx, in particular, really earns his reputation there, man. I, you, you do shake your head there. I thought he was awesome. I hate him. Do you? Like, I hate it. I... I I think he's brilliant. He was fantastic in it. And I mean, he's he really, really, really good in this film. But I, I find Jamie Foxx really uncomfortable as a performer. <laughs> and in this film, his character as Bats is just nuts. And he's I didn't tough, like him. Yeah. But that's the whole point of the movie. He delivers on that character perfectly. He's really well pitched because he blends brilliantly. You know, because one of the difficult things to do is the fact that it's called Baby Driver and it's about this guy called Baby and he's a kid. Uh, who was always wearing his sunglasses, and he's so obviously young, that that dynamic between these hardened criminals who don't really trust him, you had to believe that they don't trust him, that maybe they respect him and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you've got to give credit to the entire cast for pulling off the relationships and continually strengthening the believability of Ansel Eggles' guy, right? It's, it's great. It's really good ensemble work. I completely agree. Last thing I want to say that I really enjoyed, and then I'll move on to a couple of things that I wasn't so convinced of, is I think the plot is really good. I think it continually uh, surprised me. It continually takes a left turn or right turn, depending on which one is the nice surprising well, yeah. one. And uh, I think that's that's really hard to do in a movie which is just about a getaway driver. How do you make that interesting? How do you raise the stakes? And the I was really impressed. It surprised me multiple times throughout the film. I, even though you kind of get a feeling of what's going to happen. And there's a couple of moments when I realised I said, oh no, oh, because I knew what was going to happen. And yet still the film was surprising me. And yet also sort of setting up expectations of what could happen. Mm. And I think it's, it's just really well done. And I think it should be seen by everyone, I think, because this is a film which doesn't really come up much. No, it's unusual. So those are the things which I really loved. Is there anything else you want to add on the love list? Well, that I really loved. 
it's not kind of a love, but I think it becomes a love. And I'll try to explain how. <laughs> I think you already know about me, Phil. The stuff that you can perceive as a hipsterish in films generally turns me off in an instant. Like, mm. I remember we reviewed Seeking a Friend for the End of the World with uh, Steve Carell and Kira Knightley recently. Remember that? Yep. And it annoyed me. I can't even tell you how irritating I found it that he decides to play some vinyl in the last moments of life on Earth because it's so much more meaningful than a CD would be. You know what mm. I mean? I hate that. I hate it so much. This film... Again, I think it's a lot to do with Edgar Wright's style and the painting of Baby's character. There's so much old hipster tech being used here, like little tape recorders uh, and old-fashioned mixing desks and things, because one of his hobbies is to mix uh, sounds and music and all that sort of stuff. But it didn't annoy me in the slightest. I actually thought, well, that's cool. Yeah, I believe this guy likes to play vinyl. I believe he likes to use these tape recorders. And I believe it because it's not saying oh, how cool and quirky this guy is. It's more just that's just what he has. You know he what just I mean? likes it, to do it. It seems it to be part of his character rather than trying to make him cool or be edgy. Exactly. So I give Edgar Wright credit for doing something that is really annoying, and yet somehow it wasn't annoying at all. I agree. A couple of things I didn't like. I didn't like Lily James. I don't think she was uh, right for that role. Tell me why you think that, Phil. She wasn't really believable. I felt like she was playing a character. She was Lily James being a sort of southern belle waitress character she was slight wish fulfillment for the main character wasn't she yeah and i think she was a bit empty she was the probably the only character which didn't really feel fleshed out or real and have any sort of grounding she seems to immediately take to him in the in that scene which we actually heard in the clip which i don't really buy i don't really buy that she would immediately be charmed by him so that was one issue i had Another issue I had is I think the film is a bit too violent. Okay. And surprisingly enough, guns do turn up, but in kind of an unexpected way. There's one sequence in the film where guns make a big sort of bombastic entrance into the film. And I thought it was a little bit indulgent and a little bit unnecessary, that whole sequence. Interesting. And it does that thing where it times the bullets to the music. That was too much, yeah. Yeah, it's too much. It, it doesn't need to be there and in some ways, it takes away from the film because you see the, the technical idea of it overtaking the actual need for the scene. How interesting. Well, I'm going to come back to you on both those things. Number one, I agree with you about Lily James, but not for the reason you're saying. I just think, I think she was miscast, but not on her own terms. I think she's not right for Ansel Eggort because she's obviously much older than he is, I thought. And I didn't believe their chemistry. So actually, I think you could have had the scene done exactly the same but the baby driver guy needs to be a bit older or she needs to be a slightly younger actress because she plays it with a kind of innocence and naivety that I just don't believe is true of Lily James. And it's absolutely required for the way that their love story develops because, as you say, she almost instantly is like, yeah, fine. And I can believe that about someone who's young and thinks, well, wouldn't this be exciting? But she's so obviously, that's just not who she is. Mm. So and maybe she's too well known as well so I agree with you, but not for the same reasons. Actually, the actor I didn't like was John Hamm, Phil. Um, I thought he was miscast especially towards the end basically i disagree. disagree i thought i can see this nice guy trying to be tough and i know they kind of make allusions to that in the script itself but i didn't buy it i didn't buy him as a criminal really so i i wasn't on board i disagree with i thought he was uh good but interestingly i think towards the end of the film there's a couple of characters which you think maybe might be a bit of trouble for baby later on down the line and edgar wright juggles them quite well so you don't really know who's going to be the big bad when that finally does emerge I think that sequence goes on a bit too long and a bit unnecessary. It kind of loses its steam. Well, and that and that ties into my second thing to come back at you at with the the scenes plural. I think you're talking about where there's a lot of gunfire. Actually, I suddenly remembered I'm watching an Edgar Wright film at that moment because Edgar Wright is famous 
for having third acts where everything concludes completely nuts and falls apart. You just think about Hot Fuzz. Like the third act of that film is is ridiculous. And just about every extreme direction it could take, it takes it and pushes it a little bit further. And I thought there was a weird sense of him trying to rein his instincts in a little bit. So what you had was a weird uh, moment that was kind of in the middle of two things. It would have made much more sense for it to be much more dramatic and serious than it was. But it also could have gone completely the other way and, and been be much, much more crazy sillier and wilder. And, yeah. and there could have been, and, but he was trying to, I think that's Edward Wright doing something against his instincts. And maybe, shows, maybe that's what I feel like. Maybe the fact that I feel like it's too long, it, it should have been a bit more condensed, a bit more serious, yeah. or it should be more... And more it wasn't really like either, was it? And I think, yeah, and that's, yeah. So there we go. And that's kind of all I've got to say, really, Phil. I think that's kind of my thing. I've got a couple of bonuses that I want to add, which are kind of criticisms, but I don't know how to put them in. Okay. But yeah, I found the film a little bit too violent and a little bit, a little bit too long at the end uh, and it was dragged out. But having said that, I think this film is great. Go see it. Go see oh, definitely. Uh, an original film that has so much style, energy, enthusiasm, passion. Great performances on the whole, yeah. I honestly I think it's worth your time even if you're a bit nervous about the violence I think you can kind of see it coming so you could look away if you're a bit of a bit squeamish about that sort of stuff and for me the grade's an A I loved it I thought it was great yeah, for an A nice um, yeah Ooh, tough. you see I, I'd probably give it an A- minus because I I did think it. I felt mixed literally the second I walked out of the cinema I didn't leave thinking well that was awesome and it was a shame because for the first two acts basically I thought this is really fantastic like the first bit loved it the second part where all the tension builds up brilliant but the third act just threw it all off for me and it really needed to close the deal so yeah probably an A- minus for me but as Phil says I'd recommend everyone to go and watch it and something we haven't said is that it's funny it's not as outright funny as the Cornetto trilogy with uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost it's more sort of charming and witty. And there are a couple of laugh out loud moments, I thought, Phil, especially the hat tattoo. Uh, <laughs> that was good. And the Monsters, Inc. reference. I loved that. That was good. A couple of bonuses for me. Baby does a lot of lip syncing. I don't think Ansel is very good at lip syncing. No, there's one particular moment at the beginning sat in the car when he does a bad job. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not very good at lip sync acting. He doesn't sell it enough. And I, I feel like we've been spoiled for good lip syncing acting when you see Alan Partridge, the movie, because he does that beginning scene. Oh, yeah. And he lip syncs <laughs> it brilliantly. Yeah. You have to really over exaggerate the lip sync to sell it. Because that's going to connect with the audience, I think, much better than if you just kind of half-heartedly do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think he was necessarily trying to be half-hearted, but I, I thought the same thing. The other bonus is, I think probably, if you're like me, you will do probably what Laurie really doesn't like, which is look for little bits of Edgar Wright direction, which is he chocks full the scenes with little references and jokes and little visual gags, I think, about what's going on in the film. And I found that a little bit distracting because it was interesting seeing what he was doing. But at the same time, I just wanted to watch the movie. Hmm. And so try and turn off your Edgar Wright awareness radar. I know what you're saying, man. Yeah, but I think you can easily ignore it. I do. Well, there we go, man. I think that's everything, isn't it? That's another uh, duo review. It's always weird when we do those because it feels quite different, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit back. <laughs> uh, listeners, I hope you go and see it. We both recommend that highly. A minus from me, A from Phil. Give us a plus one or minus one if you agree or disagree with us. And yeah, look forward to hearing your thoughts. Send them to superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Now, Phil, the film I'm going to review is a Japanese anime, and I think it's got a fairly small release, but immediately... Let me encourage everyone to put it in their diary to try and watch it if they possibly can, because I think this might convert sceptics of that kind of animation. And I think if you already love it, it is the most sort of 
peacefully rewarding film I've seen in a long time. It, you know, I put it on a similar level with uh, After the Storm by Hirokazu Koreda, which is a live-action film. Something about Japanese cinema, man. I love it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know what it is. You haven't really mentioned that film at all, or that director. What's his name again? Hirokazu Koreda. Yeah, I think I've said him about every single week, haven't yeah. I? <laughs> like last five but weeks. But have you watched like, anything by him yet? I'm meaning to. I'm trying to like, so find a way to do it. I haven't mentioned him enough then, so <laughs> it's all good. Uh, listeners, this film is based on a manga by Fumio Kono, or Kono, and it covers the life of a young girl called Suzu as she grows up in and around Hiroshima before the atomic bomb. So it's set in the 1930s and the 1940s. Uh, and in particular, she's 18 at the start and gets married to a boy that she hardly knows. Their families kind of agree it. She goes and gets married to him, moves to Kure, which is a town an hour away from Hiroshima. And then she has to adapt to formal family life, to married life, uh, to kind of having to do housework and stuff in a way that uh, that era of Japan would have been, you know, expected of uh, the woman of the house. Uh, it gets used to all kinds of things uh, and then obviously has to get used to the war, making its presence felt. There are air raids, there's rationing, there's young men being conscripted, tragically people getting lost. And of course, right at the end, the atomic bomb being dropped itself. Now, for me, Phil, this is a wonderful film to watch because the amount of effort that has been taken by the director, Sunao Kasabuchi, uh, who worked with Hiyao Miyazaki on Kiki's Delivery Service, he's so committed to making everything authentic as far as possible. And reportedly, there was a huge amount of research that went into identifying the particular cultures of Hiroshima and this town, Kure, and representing them as faithfully as possible uh, in tiny little interpersonal relationships, in the way that you would go and buy food or the way that you would wash up or the way that you would cook, all that kind of stuff, and the kind of things uh, that domestic families did during the war to help the war effort. Uh, and it, it's so wonderful to see something like that done in animation because people try it with documentaries or cgi all the time but when something is animated it's not just a faithful representation of things it's also an artistic impression of it as well mm. and you get to see things in such vivid color and imagination and sort of passion as well but all that said it therefore means it's really sedate because this is someone who is not fighting this is someone who is on the sidelines and themselves is very young and having to learn lots of things as you do as you watch her do it so it is incredibly slow-paced and delicate, but kind of heartbreakingly beautiful for all that as well. It goes without saying that some people might find it boring because of the content of the film, and you have to care about what's being revealed to you. Uh, but if you're willing to stick with it, it will reward you, I think, incredibly richly. Because when the conflict does start arriving in force, uh, oh man, the way that they choose to use the family dynamics is is hard to bear. Uh, and there are some particularly unbelievably moving segments to do with that atomic bomb being dropped uh, that had me easily in tears. Um, much worse than any other film I've seen. Really? Actually. Yeah, and I've cried a few times. I think they, they often get me. <laughs> You've become more emotional since your children. Well, there is partly that, but I, I think it's just, yeah, it's astonishing. I think it's very, very sensitive and thoughtful with the way it, the way it deals with it. In particular, it's wonderfully non-sensationalist about that, the scale of that tragedy. Because, And what I found myself thinking was watching this film was almost anticipating slash looking forward to the moment of the atomic bomb dropping. And I, I half you're wonder, building up to that That's moment. the thing that you kind of... That's the, the draw to the film, isn't it? To understand this town, Hiroshima, a bit better. And isn't that awful? And, like, and it made me think sort of philosophically, how can I be like anticipating that moment in this film? Actually, I don't want it to come. And yet I, am, I want to know how these people living their ordinary lives dealt with such a like cataclysmic world-ending event and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I was genuinely astonished with the way that it was handled. It was so subtle and delicate. Um, 
things to add if you're contemplating going to see it. And Phil, I'm conscious I'm just streaming this at you. Have you got no, it's interesting. I'm, I'm keeping quiet because I'm interested. Okay, good, good, good to hear it. Um, it's more intense than you might expect, and especially with regards to some of the war things. Some of the ideas in there are really hard to take, and so be prepared for that. Similarly, the relationship aspect between the husband and the wife is it's practically archaic now. So don't if you're if you're someone who uh, wants to go in and see, for example, you know, great strong women and all that kind of thing. You're not going to see that in modern terms, but you will so- see the resilience of a young woman, like honouring her family and society as it was at the time. In that culture. Yeah. And I, I think that is a really rewarding thing to do. And it, it really bugs me. We keep needing to do this historical films thing. It bugs me when films attempt to rewrite history. And what they want to do is emphasise victories and things that happened later in life and good values that we all support now but it, it's frustrating when they just plant those values in an old film as if they always existed it's yeah just... and that the real the real people the people who were really nice they always got it right and so i love a film like this which at the same time emphasizes actually this woman's lot was quite tough and it was not fair mm. but also it shows that she commits to it so i always really value a film that attempts to be accurate when it portrays an old culture yeah, so be aware of both those things if you're going to watch it. Lovely music, uh, using some old classical pieces and some that have been composed. And all in all, I thought it was just stunning. It made me reflect on all kinds of things. Wow. What's the animation like? Is it Ghibli-esque? No, it's somewhere between Princess Kaguya and Studio Ghibli. And there's wonderful watercolour and pastel shades being used throughout. I thought it was far more beautiful than Princess Kaguya. And I enjoyed it a lot more than Blame. Do you remember when I reviewed Blame? Yeah, you didn't like that. It was kind of 3D blended, wasn't it? No, this is very clearly hand-drawn. And one thing that is really amazing about that for me is that this had to be crowdfunded to get the support it needed to be released. Right. And it was successfully crowdfunded. So they seem to have achieved a beautiful hand-drawn style, presumably on not an incredibly high budget as well. Do you think this is the sort of film which history teachers might play uh, for students to understand uh, the Hiroshima disaster? And- well, one thing that will get said, and it quite rightly, is that this obviously has a very narrow viewport onto the whole thing. So it doesn't address diplomatic relations or political conflict. It has no interest, really, in showing what Japan was doing in the war, other than the way that the home, the people at home had to support and worry about their soldiers, as anyone would do in any mm. war. So I think history people might not like it that much because... It doesn't show that side of it. Yeah, but and, and I, my, I mean, that's one of the reasons I actually like it, because I think it's really useful to see detailed small windows on something and then to use that to fill in the gaps of a broader historical context. So it probably won't get used for that purpose, but I, I do think it's wonderful. And it, other than that, it's just really enjoyable. They're really lovely characters, and, and you care about Suzu as she gets on with her thing, and you, you will her to find her strength and to succeed in her endeavours. You know what, Phil? I, uh, you maybe want to shoot me for this, but there's some really nice symbolism in this film, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you hated symbolism. Uh, well, what there were, I didn't notice any Easter eggs, because how could I? I'm, I'm not familiar enough with Japanese culture to pick them up. But for example, I thought they were just nice little moments that made complete sense in context, but were also representing things that are massively out of context. So there's this guy called Tetsu that Suzu kind of liked when she was younger, even though he was a bit brash. And she meets him years later after she's been married to this guy she doesn't know. And they catch up. Now Tetsu is a naval officer in the war. And so they have this one night where they catch up, all that sort of stuff. And he says, the past and paths we did not choose are like dreams in a bigger context, because they're saying, how did we end up here? And I thought, that's a lovely thing. If you abstract it from its context, 
then doesn't that say something about the whole business of the war? Because that's exactly the same, isn't it? Like, how did these people end up in this place? Actually, through paths and paths that they didn't even choose, mm. but that other people chose and led them there. And that's what you're seeing on the screen, a dream of Hiroshima. Like, you're constantly saying, well, what if it hadn't been bombed in that way mm. and destroyed? And what if the conflict hadn't happened and destroyed the livelihoods and the culture of these people? So I think, I think it's, a, it's a film that works on a lot of layers and is wonderful, beautiful. Do you want to say anything more? I'm sort of gushing again. Tell me the grade. I give it an A. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really wonderful and shouldn't be overlooked. What's the name of the title again? In This Corner of the World. And shall I play the trailer to close us out again? again like it's Japanese language. So but give you a bit of the flavour of the sort of mood and the, the music. And yeah, absolutely. Now, Phil, I'm conscious I've done all the talking. Is there anything more you want to ask me or not? I think you've done a very comprehensive review. I can always tell when you're doing a review that you've already written because you kind of, <laughs> don't you don't that. need me to help shape your thoughts. You've already shaped them yourselves. Oh dear, that doesn't sound good. No, uh, it's fine. Okay, here's the trailer, listeners. I hope you found that interesting at least. So, Phil, we're not even going to sing the proper movie news jingle this movie time. Movie news. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a really mini one, isn't it? Really, really fast. We covered the whole, oh, the directors, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, have left the Han Solo movie, and Ron Howard has stepped in thing last week. Some extra details have been filtering through the press recently, and I'd encourage you guys to go and look them up, because we're not the source, and I wouldn't want to claim that we are the source. Mm. Um, but one particular thing really stood out to me, which is that it would appear that everyone was losing confidence in Phil Lord and Chris Miller. One of the key things that they had problems with was that they only shot something like three camera placements for a variety of scenes, whereas the Disney execs wanted 12. So in the editing suite, they had 12 variants, and not just of lines and takes, but of shots, composition as well, to choose from. 12! Can you imagine how much work that would take? And Phil Lord and Chris Miller just did three. Similarly, they're saying, oh, they were too improvisational. Like they weren't wanting to stick to exactly the script. They wanted actors to bring more to the table. And that obviously works in a film like 21 and 22 Jump Street, mm. which is a kind of improv comedy, basically. Mm. Not so much your tentpole Disney production. And I, I, I remember hearing reports that Lawrence uh, Kasdan, the, I think he's the yeah. scriptwriter behind The Empire Strikes Back and other Star Wars things, um, he didn't like the fact they were taking liberties with the script that had been worked well, on. Well, no, he'd written, yeah. I think so. I think he was involved in it, yeah. And wanted to be there saying, you need to shoot it this way, and they didn't like that. Mm. So all kinds of problems. But the most interesting one, I think, is that reportedly an acting coach was hired to get better performances out of Alden Ehrenreich. And that is totally reportedly. I have no idea whether that's true. But isn't that weird? Apparently it's less uncommon, more common. It's more common than you think it is, because uh, maybe there's something really specific they need to get right or whatever it is. And they can't quite get there. Yeah, it doesn't sound good for your star, though, does it? And I just think, isn't it so weird when the breakout scene for Alden Ehrenreich last year was him being coached how to say, what did it were so simple? Inhale Caesar. That's but he him. was he was great in that that film. I, I thought. think he's true. Yeah, I don't understand why he's being hired, but obviously they're not satisfied. So it's maybe everyone just loves uh, a bad story and to jump on the bandwagon, but it doesn't look particularly good, does it? I definitely get the sense that probably the media senses there's a bit of blood here and they're going for the kill. Yeah. To, 
to kind of kill a movie. They love killing movies if they can, especially big budgeted ones. It's, it kind of gives the media power, I think, when they can destroy something. Yeah, well, and Disney maybe are okay because there's been a lot of publicity for sure. Uh, but anyway, that's the mini movie news. So keep an eye on that, listeners. It'll be interesting to see the details as they keep coming. Incidentally, can I just add, the whole three shots versus 12 shots. Yeah. Samuel Jackson has gone on record. I remember seeing a video of him talking about it and he got so cross because directors don't have the confidence to just say, oh, we've got the scene, we've shot the scene, give a little bit of time for the actor to work on it. They do coverage, reverse coverage, extra coverage. They do so many shots of the same scene and it's because they want to make the movie in the edit rather than having that vision of what the movie will be like using what they've got. Well, there's trust there. It's not just directors not having the confidence. It's that I would imagine producers have become even more powerful now that everything is market and data driven. So the producers will be in that edit room as well, right? And there might be a bit of a Suicide Squad situation where they're thinking, well, if we don't like the way the movie turns out, at least we can then get somebody else in to recut, to recalibrate it, 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 yeah, brighten up the colours or whatever and make it's, it funny. millions and millions and millions of dollars. That's how it happens. But it's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it, to think that you can't pursue a creative entity in That's the same way. When you get a good indie film, it's worth celebrating because often they've just done it themselves. Hence, Baby Driver. Check exactly. it out. Exactly. Nice, nice segue. Nice. What have we been watching this week? Woo! <laughs> right, Phil, I'd like you to go first, please. I'm going to do Avatar. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Navi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA, mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it. You get your legs back. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. Jake, it's real simple. I want you to learn from the inside. I want you to gain their trust. Stop at him. 
We're going up against gunships with bows and arrows. Well, I guess we better stop him. Epic. Yeah, sort of. This is from 2009, I think it is. James Cameron. You've probably already seen it, listeners. Let's be honest. Everyone saw this film. Although, if you didn't see it at the cinema, you might take some persuading now to watch on TV because it's like three hours long plus. It's a long movie. It's a lot of CGI. It is quite a straightforward plot well, in some ways. You've got a guy who goes uh, out to a new distant planet and uh, there's an indigenous uh, species there called the Na'vi and they are on top of what the humans are interested in. And so they uh, basically send out some a team to try and learn their culture, help them and then move them along so that they can get to the precious unobtainium in the ground. Mm, what a good name. This was the biggest film of the year, without a doubt. People were going nuts over it. People wanted to go to Pandora, this uh, invented place from James well, Cameron. Apparently people were having breakdowns at the thought that it wasn't a real place. Yeah, like, because it's completely constructed. It's the most beautiful, epic, wonderful place. People want it to be blue and 10 foot tall and long and slender and everything like that. Yeah. It's kind of weird watching it again because you don't have that sort of, wow, Avatar, have you seen Avatar? It's the first 3D movie. Oh, the CGI is so real. Like, you could believe that they're these aliens and, oh, look at that species, that weird draggy bird. Like, you don't have all that thing to sweep you up anymore. It's just a film. It's Avatar. You've seen it. You know what it is. Sort of Pocahontas in space. Yeah, and the thing is, is I was a massive fan of Avatar. I saw it like three times in the cinema when it was first coming out because I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen 3D that convincing. The 3D was amazing. That me away more than anything else just the whole idea of something new and exciting with these glasses that would make it stand out then you've got this cutting edge technology with the whole motion capture and facial reconstruction so you had cgi characters that looked like the actual people that they were meant to be representing and so it was like wow this is this is oh i couldn't believe it now i'm just a bit over it and suddenly i saw it as Lots of people saw it back then because I remember everyone was saying, oh, it's the Smurfs. It's so silly. And it's like Pocahontas in space or whatever. Last of the, the Mohicans, that whole thing. And they kind of belittled it. And I was like, no, this is amazing. This is such an epic film. And it's the future of cinema. And James Cameron is doing revolution. It's not really. It's kind of an average film. And the thing which you said about The Lord of the Rings, watching back the CGI and everything with Gollum. Yeah. So much with this film. So, so much with this film. It's it's ridiculous how much it's aged and suddenly it just looks so stupid. These stupidly long, <laughs> spindly little blue aliens with their weird noses and faces that just, it just doesn't, doesn't look good. You can kind of be like, yeah, it does kind of look like them, but it, it just looks like so much CGI and the magic's gone. And what you're left with is actually still a very competent film with really solid direction from James Cameron and very clear, solid plot points. But there's no magic in there anymore. Instead, it's a bit silly. I wonder whether they they were really hoping to keep the flame burning on it because the rumoured five sequels or whatever have been rumoured for ages. I still don't think they're actually properly slated, are they? Well, I mean, he took forever to get this one out of the bag. Uh, He'd been working on it for years and years since Titanic. uh, And then he finally did it. And it was a huge, huge box office draw and everything made. I think it was the first film to make a billion dollars or something like that. some record yeah. R- ridiculous but yeah i think the fire has gone out i think people are over it now well, that's what so I mean. they needed it to keep burning otherwise exactly what you just described is going to happen isn't it? i think i think if the ne- next one comes out i think it will be lackluster and people won't be blown away and they'll kind of laugh at it and maybe they'll go see it just for the interest but i don't think it will ever be the franchise that it could have been at that time it's a shame because i think sam worthington gets unfairly dismissed i quite like him and i think he's good in this as is giovanni rabisi who i think is awesome in almost everything well, funny enough, you, you 
kind of cut away my point again because oh. Sam Worthington is the thing which is really good in this film. He is convincing. He's a solid lead. He believes that he's this guy who's struggling with his identity and and is a bit torn and likes these people, but he wants his legs back and all yeah. this sort of stuff. He's a good actor. I think he's good. I think he hasn't had uh, the right sort of roles for him to show off his ability Back until the this Titans film. Or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of kind of B movie type salvation. Yeah, yeah B movie type franchises that he kind of got put on board as the lead in, and this one was the only real franchise that I think is worthy of his talents. And I slightly worry that he maybe has been sidelined as the Avatar guy, and so hasn't really been able to be in other films. Even though I think he's good. He's convincing. He's kind of like a young Russell Crowe, I feel like. Mm, I don't know that I'd say that, but he's Australian as well, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. He's just Australian young. <laughs> what do you think about the whole um, criticism it got, the white saviour thing? Because here's this white guy who turns up and shows them how to be like the best of themselves. Like He succeeds in all of their amazing endeavours and skills, even romances their princess. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a problem in terms of uh, culturally what it might suggest. But in terms of filmically and narratively, it's a very worn idea. And I don't really I don't really blame James Cameron. He told a very staple story and he wanted to show off this world. So sure. I don't think that's really a problem unless you want it to be a problem. That's just my opinion. I might be okay. wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it's a weird one to watch again. And I kind of was a bit over it. And I wonder if I'm not the only one. What would so your grade be now? My grade for me now would probably be a B minus. I thought it was solid and okay, but I wasn't. I wasn't enchanted like I was before. Nicely done for. I mean, the length, to be honest, for me is what would kill it. Yeah, Laurie, what's your film? Uh, I am going to review Enemy of the State with Will Smith. Satellite imagery coming through. Roger that. Patch visual my location. Subject entering lingerie store. Hey, hi. So you want some lingerie for your wife? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm not really experienced in this. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm experienced. You know, I don't want to come in here and look stupid. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Should have gotten our watch. Robert Clayton Dean was innocent. Freeze there. Time's 10. We have reason to believe that Mr. Zavitz may have passed sensitive materials to you. Uh, what kind of materials? Sensitive, so... Let's get into his life. We have you bugged it, Mr. Dean. Move to audio three. He was unsuspecting. Hey, hey! Find the wrong house? Hello? Eric! Mr. Dean! He was unaware. You are the only woman in the world for me. You and Janet Jackson. <laughs> Cutting your way over. Now... What he doesn't know... I'd like to report a break-in. ...could kill him. Request immediate keyhole visual tasking, maximum resolution. He's on your six o'clock! You have something they want! Two targets, rooftop. I don't have anything! Maybe you do and you don't know it! You're a threat now. To whom? Everyone you know. Target's on the move. A name, a phone number? No, nothing! He didn't give me anything! You know how many federal agents you had following you? Stay exactly where you are. To use every means possible to get what we need. From Jerry Bruckheimer. Get the cat. What's the cat's name? Babe. Producer of The Rock. Come here, baby. <gasps> baby, come, come, come here. A film by Tony Scott. Target is on 21. Director of Crimson Tide. Is this about me? 20. Do they know me? 19. Who is that? 18. He jumped to 17. Do they know me? I don't know what you're talking about. Will Smith. You're one of them, aren't you? Former conspirer. Switching, target switching. Gene Hackman. This man, this is our problem. You live another day, I'll be very impressed. It's not paranoia when they're really after you. Tell them to stop it now! Enemy of the state. 
the hell is happening? I blew up the building. Why? Because you made a phone call. <laughs> Lots and lots of yelling! Man, don't you miss the trailers like that? How exciting did that sound? Oh, I found it a bit exhausting in all Compared honesty. to this, though... Yeah, come on, you know what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that trailer. Yeah, what an interesting film this is, listeners. Made in 1998 and directed by Tony Scott, who did Top Gun and a whole host of other big movies. It's weird because that name has kind of dropped out, hasn't it? But he's a big deal uh, in uh, blockbuster cinema of the 80s and 90s. Mm, and he still made movies recently, Man on Fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was involved in Man on Fire as well, that Denzel Washington movie. And this was a huge proposition at the time, starring Will Smith. And you were saying, Phil, this is around the time when he was breaking out of his TV star role into Can He Be Mr. Hollywood? And we know he succeeded, of course. Mm. And it's a film all around the paranoia that was kind of starting to grip the world in the late 90s. And what's really fascinating is watching it today, because obviously privacy and everything is a big deal after Snowden and guys like that. But it's funny to see how massive a deal it was in films and fiction in the 90s as well. People forget that. Like the internet had only been around for a few years and already they're freaking out about it. Mm. And this film, as you heard there, has all the electronic noises and beeps. It has loads of really fast cuts and satellites zooming around, people triangulating positions, doing loads of typing. And it has Jack Black of all people being Mr. Combs uh, looking at the overhead cameras and stuff and cluing people in it's got Seth Green um, being Mr. Technology and and it, the whole thing is designed to try and make you think how did Will Smith who's just a lawyer and an ordinary family man end up getting tracked like this uh, by these guys from the National Security Agency uh, headed by John Voigt I really enjoyed it. The, the whole premise is that someone who's a nature photographer accidentally filmed a very sensitive event uh, and then he discovers it and tries to take it to the press and instantly that phone call is traced and he gets intercepted on his way to the press and so as he's trying to flee these guys chasing him down he bumps into Will Smith uh, in a lingerie shop while he's embarrassedly trying to buy lingerie for his wife and drops the uh, video recording into his bag so Will Smith doesn't even realise it but he's become an accessory to a very high profile problem for the NSA and it's all about the way that they try and stop him crush him wreck his family life and try and get him to come in and, and give them this incriminating tape and then ways to evade them and the ways that he tries to evade them not only you know put him up against people like jack black and seth green but put him in cahoots with people like gabriel byrne and gene hackman like this is one of the most star-studded films i've seen for a really long time and people are playing bit parts apparently very happily i think that's not necessarily true man i think this is maybe is one of those films which uh was popular at the time and so therefore it attracted uh people that then became up and coming well kind of john voigt man gene Hatton, yeah yeah like there's definitely some big names stars. but as in some of the other ones jack black seth green it's like pre their big sort of well, launch funny of their about career it, yeah 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 and they, they were getting they were in these box office smashes it's weird you think jack black has only ever done comedy but no not so much uh yeah i really enjoyed it i felt a weird kind of nostalgia for these kind of technological thrillers before everyone got familiar with technology facebook is the death of even films as it turns out <laughs> because now everyone knows what it's like to snoop on other people isn't it like uh, facebook that is what facebook is whereas back in the day you need to conceive of a time when that was just impossible and like the very idea of someone knowing anything about you from your phone records or the way that you use your atm card uh, or stuff that you record on your camera, you know, all that stuff. The idea that anyone could learn that about you 
is sort of terrifying to the culture of the time. And what's interesting to me is that that led to a direction style that is so frenetic and fast and drama up to the max that it makes me feel more nervous watching this than it did watching Snowden, uh, for example, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Whereas, but isn't it a different sort of movie altogether? Well, okay, of course it's a completely different sort of movie. It's just interesting to me that what now we kind of perceive as a slightly omnipresent thing that's a bit of a pain was considered back then to be a high-octane action spectacular threat plot thing so when you have privacy being invaded and everything it's well will smith can he can he survive can he recover the trust of his family and now it's a bit like um yeah the government's gonna watch you just yeah deal exactly with it. it's just different so it's really fascinating but given the state of everything that's going on but other than that i think it's just a really good film what i was blown away by is that it's only just over two hours but it is such a full film so much happens and will smith's journey is amazingly well paced like, it doesn't go from noughts to 100 in, you know, a matter of seconds or scenes. It builds up, like, incredibly well. And even though, like, Gene Hackman's character, who turns up later on, doesn't get very many scenes, you feel like you know him really well. I, I really do think it's a masterpiece of storyboarding because the stakes are so clearly outlined and described to you. The dialogue is so well chosen and the cuts and the timing of all the shots are so well constructed that you never feel lost, even though the whole point of the film is that Will Smith does feel lost and completely mm. alone. I think it's a really brilliantly made 90s sort of action thriller. It's dated. There's no way around that. But if you've got a bit of patience for it, Jude and I loved it. I disagree, man. I, I didn't. Have I remember seen seeing this a while back and I thought, I'm not sure this is up to much. I remember when I was a kid watching that trailer because it was one of the ones on our VHSs that played and being like, I need to see this film. It's so exciting. And then when I saw it, I think basically for me, it was a bit redundant because all the things that they were talking about, all the technology, it was like, yeah. Well, that's and- what, exactly what I mean. And But I think what you need to do is abstract the actual stuff they're talking about and just look at the filmmaking of it because for these guys, that stuff was really a big deal, which is why it justifies the fast cuts and the action and stuff. You're living the in the past, talk. man. Get with the times. <laughs> it was nicer in the past. I'm sure it was. <laughs> Uh, so sorry it's not a great review from me there listeners I think Will Smith is is good and charming he kind of does his Will Smith thing before the Will Smith thing was a thing so mm-hmm. but it's enjoyable to see him kind of in his prime really he looks a bit tired now I think especially if you watch After Earth I've never seen a man look more tired <laughs> about everything he was great in this uh you know, and is Gene Hackman, and it's quite fun to see him reprising a role that almost could be like the sequel to what he did in The French Connection. Mm. What's not, the grade? Not, not really. Uh, I would give it a B plus. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Okay, well, there you go. That's what we've been watching this week. Send in your emails uh, with plus ones and minus ones if you have seen those films and you agree or you disagree. And also send in some suggestions if you've got films you'd like us to review that are from the past. Always do. Superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Superbabybros. Okay, listeners, this is a bit of a flashback to what we used to do quite often on the show. I think we've done it like three times. Often is a bit of a misnomer. That's often in our in our little world, which is a must scene or a picture perfect. This is a scene which just perfectly encapsulates just movies in general, hits a sort of perfect tone or delivers perfectly on a piece of action, whatever it might be. And this week, I would like to really suggest to you that this is a fantastic scene and it's in Lord of the Rings, it's the Fellowship of the Ring and it's the sequence where you have the the Fellowship running down uh, away from the Balrog, down some steps and they encounter a little bit of a gap. Now this scene turned out to be entirely made up from the mind of Peter Jackson and it was because he happened to see a piece of concept art which uh, some of the, the two of the pencilers who did 
uh, loads and loads of the art behind Lord of the Rings. They were already established as sort of the artists for the Lord of the Rings books and everything like that. They drew this little staircase and they included a little gap in this staircase. And Peter Jackson said, oh, I like that gap. Let's make that something into a little sequence in the movie. That's cool, isn't it? So he imagined this scene where the Fellowship have to get over this gap. Now, if you've seen this movie, you know that it doesn't just stay a little gap. It becomes this escalating problem. And I think that's why this scene is brilliant. It's one of the first scenes where you see the, the Fellowship be triumphant and achieve something and work together as a team. And it's sort of one of these bizarre things which is so relatable in a sequence or in a film which is so much about fantasy. It's completely grounded in the real world. It's about real rules and achieving something in spite of them. Nice, Phil. Very uh, academically put. Are you rehearsing for a lecture? <laughs> so to start with, they come across and they've got to get over this gap. And of course, uh, Legolas being the elf, he jumps over straight away. He's the sort of... Uh, nimble... Oh, he's the goody two-shoes, Mr. Lithe, Mr. I can do anything. Watch it. Exactly. He's not phased by the physical. He jumps over. It shows a bit about his character. Gandalf jumps over fine. Boromir being a bit of a hero, he decides to jump over, holding two of the hobbits yeah. and leaping over. But then by the beard, of course. Yeah, well, no, that's when you get Gimli, who says, I'm not going to be tossed. Uh, nobody tosses a dwarf. I got mixed up with the names. That's bad, isn't it? You're right, yeah, nobody tosses a dwarf. Which is a future cool or cool, uh, foreshadowing, I guess, of the sequence in Helm's Deep where he says to Aragorn, you're going to have to toss me. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, brilliant. This little line in one movie sets up another joke later on in, the, in another movie. And a character development relationship building, yeah. Exactly, it's brilliant. All of the fellowship in this sequence, in this tiny little, little obstacle they have to go across, it shows something about their character. It shows Boromir as heroic, it shows Legolas as uh, elegant and agile, Gandalf independent, Gimli stubborn. See, now you're doing, you're making me think about all these symbolism things, because you're right, man. Not only is Boromir trying to be a hero, but no one asks him to do it. He takes them and jumps across and makes a big noise while doing it, and actually his actions is what causes it to get worse yes. for Aragorn and Frodo, because while he takes a, an action that he considers to be heroic, part of the bridge crumbles away because it's too heavy. Exactly. So actually he's flawed, even in that moment. And then you've got a bigger gap that they need to get across. And Aragorn, being the actual hero, the true hero, the leader... Has stayed to last. He stays to last. And he stays with Frodo because that's who he's there to protect. He's the uh, ring bearer. What a everything like that. So suddenly you have the sequence where the Fellowship are showing their qualities, showing their heroism, and you've got the stakes going up. Frodo's the ring bearer. He's the one who needs to get through this problem. And he's the one stuck with Aragorn, who's the king, the future king of men or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And they're stuck on this thing... They suddenly have the Balrog chasing after them. Then you've got orcs coming in who's firing arrows at them now. So you see the arrows slicing towards their feet. Are they going to get shot? They're stuck. They have to get across this thing. Then the bridge starts collapsing because something falls down and the staircase starts to move. Are they going to fall into the abyss? The Balrog's got them coming. It just raises the stakes beautifully, perfectly. And then you have Aragorn being clever, bright, leading. He says, lean forward. of danger, yeah. And then they achieve that. And that moment, when they finally get over the gap, you hear the music, the oh, triumphant fellowship. Bom, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's the moment. And then they're away. And it's, immediately after that, the whole thing crumbles, doesn't it? it falls down yeah, you watch death. and you have a brilliant pulled back shot where you see the, the stakes of what's happened, what's been achieved. This big bridge, this big uh, staircase crumbling to the ground into the depths of Moria. And then that all just leads into the Balrog scene, which is 
on the just bridge as brilliant, just as wonderful, just as magical. And yet, I think here's this little sequence which Peter Jackson's imagined from just a little bit of concept art, which raises the stakes brilliantly. The gap gets wider, the arrows start flying in, the Balrog's coming, and you're just your heart is thumping with them. It's great, and yet, you it? have this moment of triumph where you get to see something of all the fellowship. Must see it. Nicely done, Phil. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. Yeah, totally right. It doesn't make you just wonder what happened to Peter Jackson, because then in the Hobbit trilogy, instead, we've got that what dwarf he was spinning around in a barrel like a video game character. Mm, that's the problem with CGI, my friend. Do you think so? Yeah, it doesn't storyboard. You don't need to storyboard with CGI. Mm, there we go. But anyway, that's the scene. There's loads of other scenes in those films which are just brilliant, and I could talk about that f- those, those sets of films <laughs> for a long time. But that's one scene which I think you have to check out. It's picture perfect for me. I hope you agree. Do send in your thoughts. Yeah, superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Nicely done, Phil. Let's do more of these. Mm. Right, Laura, I'm going to pull out an old classic. Ready? All right, do it. Emails, emails, talking about the listeners. Listeners, getting some opinions. Opinions. It's emails. Great, good stuff. <laughs> when you say it's a classic, I mean, do you think anyone remembers the in first time you did it? In my heart, it's a classic. I've sang that. the lyrics for Genuinely, well. genuinely, I sung that to myself in the car. Have you seriously? Times. Emails, <laughs> emails. It's a fun one to sing because in my head, I'm like this rock guy and I can imagine guitar. You sound like a rock guy. Yeah. You look like a rock guy. I feel like I've got the guitars behind me. Anyway, Phil, emails. Laurie, what you got? Uh, yeah, thanks, Phil. <laughs> sound a little bit more sincere, please. Oh. <laughs> Alistair tweeted about Empire's uh, top movies. Did you see that? They did a top 100 movies. Yeah, I did that with my friend. I ran through it. I got 86. I was very pleased. What do you mean? I got 86 of them I've seen. Oh, right. I see what you mean. I haven't done that game. Maybe I should. You I was should quite disappointed through. with the top 100, I must admit. It's certainly a bit more of a popular sort of run It's a through. listener poll. The fact that Inception is up in like the top 10 or 20. All right, all right. You oh, know you don't like Chris Nolan. On. Move on, move on. Sorry. Anyway, uh, we should do that. We should cover that. That'd be interesting. He says his top five, um, which he admits changes every now and again, would be The Dark Knight. Is that number one or is this, I don't know, it's unnumbered. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, Aliens, the sequel, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, but yeah, as he says, it does change. I think we've been asked this question before because he asked what ours would be as well. What, what, what would you say? What, not, I think what I recall last time is saying, oh, look, I can't do that. I need to go and think about it because we never I can have say to. like Lost in Translation would be obviously in the top five for me. I love it. Gladiator? But, no, I don't know that I possibly. The thing is, in my head, I, I the films that are good to me are films that I love and will happily watch again and again. So I put like I Spy. I genuinely find so hilarious and I have watched it so many times that I think it is. it must be a good film to me. Isn't that a terrible way to say it? But that personal top five is what you're going to do. Yeah, I think for me, often what I come to is there's mood films. There's films which suit me at yeah. different times, and they're very important to me. Back to films. the Future one, when Harry met Sally, those two would be there as well. Maybe Spinal Tap as well. This is Spinal Tap is amazing. <laughs> the list is growing already. Well, can't you contain it problem. just to five. Uh, but thanks, Alistair. I mean, it's always a th- uh, an interesting question. Top fives. Have you got any Phil? When Harry met Sally. Yep. Uh, Lost in Translation is a big favourite of mine. I really love Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I don't know, man. Monsters. I like. There's so many to choose from. Yeah, tough question, Alice. Well, we'll see whether we can come back to that at some point. Maybe that could be our swan song if we ever have to, you know, shut down the show. We can the give official our top, top yeah, ten the final list. Uh, Esther got in touch about our segment on elderly people characters in films. She says, "At Steve Belly Bros, I like the granddad in Little Miss Sunshine." You feel shrugging your shoulders. You've not seen it. 
<laughs> don't give away the shrug. The shrug is actually silent for a reason, Laurie. Uh, I've seen it, Esther, but quite a long time ago, and I admit I cannot remember the character at all, so we'll need to rewatch it. Expand on that one, please. Yes, we'd like to hear more. And she also adds something I can't bear in movies, so I guess this is a hate, although she says it's a heartbreaker more than a hater, really. Oh, movie uh, heartbreaker. When older people are treated badly or suffering in films. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's quite down it. On the uh, elderly thing, uh, I've got a text, actually. Some people are able to text the show. Yeah. This is from Valentine's Sweetheart, who suggests the uh, grandmother in The Proposal. That's played by Betty White as a great example. It's in with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, She yeah. loves that film. I saw that recently the other day, Did actually. You like it? I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it's quite high quality, actually. I thought um, she was a good character. She's quite fun. She's not just... Uh, what's the word? She's not just sort of ditzy or anything like that she seems to have a bit of an edge to her character a bit quirky a bit bizarre uh, i have to say that stripper scene with the guy from the office i don't remember that phil do you not remember that scene they go to the the guy who's the convenience store clerk is also the the only stripper on the alaskan island i know <laughs> you haven't seen i thought it was very funny i don't very it funny. hasn't stayed with me i'll have to watch it again well not, i'm not not particularly for that reason <laughs> it has to be said uh but yeah okay um A bad example was also suggested by Valentine's uh, sweetheart. She said that she did not like the Billy Colony's character in... Billy Connolly. How do you say it? Not Colony. That's a joke, isn't it? Uh, Billy (laughs) Connolly, yeah. What we did on our holiday. I think uh, morally it was a bit annoying, she said. I haven't seen the film. Nor have I. I think it's a little bit about uh, euthanasia and all sorts of things. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of meant to be a lighthearted sort of family drama that again goes darker as the film gets on. Well... Listeners, let us know if you've seen that. That sounds quite controversial, yeah. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Valentine's sweetheart. Yeah, good to have that. A little text in. I was even thinking about texts the other day, whether there's a way to... There's probably some service you can do, because I wonder whether that's a bit more immediate for people. Make a WhatsApp group or something. Something like that. Yeah, but I'm not sure that would work. That, that makes me feel a bit icky. The <laughs> <laughs> what? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? A WhatsApp group, I think it's that'd be a bit too... close quarters. Yeah, something like that. A really distant like, phone line. <laughs> Connecting the a Bahamas box. and someone calls us up and tells us what they say. No, I don't mean it. I quite like that, listeners. Uh, Grace got in touch again and well this makes me feel guilty uh, twice here phil because she says at super baby bros just listen to the podcast and i'm so sorry laurie you guys are awesome clappy hands emoji thanks for starting the discussion now it makes me feel like i oversold my distress because grace no you there's absolutely no reason to apologize you must hold an account to account yeah yeah no no that that really genuinely is what we want i was uh, like you said the discussion has started so no please don't apologize i won't accept it there you go i refuse <laughs> Uh, okay, and uh, Cal got in touch. He's the guy, Phil, who emailed last week to say, nice scream, Tom Cruise. Oh, um, no. And if you heard the show, Phil? Uh, well, yeah, I've listened back. It's so awful, that scream that I did. I, I wish you didn't put it in. I even asked you on well, the show. Well, that's what I was going to say. You say in the show a few times, don't put this in, don't put this in. And you put it in. I couldn't believe it. Well, that's because there's no real way to power. cut around it. There wasn't a way to no, cut around it. No, I disagree. It. You could but have just what, ignored look, it. What's happened? Because he now says, i got to give plus one to Phil for the attempted Tom Cruise scream, happy in stitches. <laughs> Oh man, it was so funny. It was funny. Like, it was like a misfire of a scream. You know when you just have to do it and you, you hear me psych myself up and then it just goes off like a wayward scream. You didn't scream. have much confidence oh, so in bad. yourself. Oh. I think if, you'd, if you'd rode it out to the end, it might have gone I, better I couldn't, for you. I knew it was terrible. He says the second one sounded like a really bad Schwarzenegger impression. Oh so. dear, I was so sorry. I, that was not up to my usual standard of impressions. I, I, I liked it very much. Uh, we had a tweet here from Sam at Super Belly Bros, the actor who plays Churchill in The Crown. That was what uh, one of our other listeners uh, emailed in about and I didn't know who it was. He says it's none other than Lord Farquaad, uh, aka from Shrek, that is, aka John Lithgow. John also, Lithgow. Uh, what's he? Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says he's awesome. We still need to watch the the Crown, don't we? Everyone keeps on suggesting it. Where's the time? I know. I know. 
Um, this is a sort of a self-referential tweet, really, because Rose tweeted uh, in reply to someone saying, what podcast do you listen to? She said, uh, at you guys, I love at Super Baby Bros for film reviews. Big smiley face. And I just wanted to say, call out and say, hey, thanks, Rose. That's awesome. And uh, as a, a great way to say to listeners, we totally depend on you guys doing that. That's how we people hear about us. It's amazing how many people say, oh, somebody suggested it to me and I listened and then, yeah, that's great. We love it when you guys suggest like, it's us. It's so awesome. If you're able to, we so would love it if you would do that. I mean, uh, and They are doing it, Laurie. Don't you worry. <laughs> Rose, what can I say? So glad you enjoy the show. That's awesome. And even more than that, Phil, we've got listeners chatting to other listeners going on on Twitter. Have I we? love to see this. Well, because Esther also tweeted to say, at Super Betty Rose, watch Mad Max Fury Road. It's ridiculous, relentless, but kind of fun so many unanswered questions yeah and you already know phil i disagree with that opinion because we talked about it a long time ago well i agree with esther yeah yeah you loved it and i wasn't so keen um but then uh, immediately dex shirts uh tweeted back to say at esther uh, one of the best movies ever the visuals are eye-popping and the action is relentless not to mention the soundtrack i think that's the right word relentless it has sort of uh once it gets going it doesn't stop it is relentless yeah it's other words I might use to describe it, but <laughs> not here. Yeah. <laughs> but how cool is that? There you go. There's the Super Very Rose community, Phil. Live at work. Isn't that awesome? The pixels are at work. Pixels and bros, which we failed to really, you know. We always call them listeners. I thought about this the other day. Yeah. yeah sorry about I t- that. You know, it's my fault because because I always, I keep listening to Adam and Joe. I always re-listen to those podcasts. They're so funny, man. If you never listen to Adam <laughs> and Joe, they are brilliant. Listen to them. But they always say listeners. And so I think I just pick it up after a while. You just absorb it like a sponge. But we, we had a whole like battle going on for a while hashtag pixels hashtag bros can you listen if you're going to tweet us put that in there say whether you're a pixel or a bro give us a hashtag team pixel, pixel team bro yeah let's have that let's 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 get the fight back on <laughs> fight 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 yeah uh that's everything this week thank you very much everyone for getting in touch lots of tweets this week that's good we like tweets nice, nice and, and immediate short. they are yeah easy to read out but i i like the long emails too phil of course big or small we love them all <laughs> uh superbelly bros at gmail.com at superbelly bros on twitter you know the drill keep in touch thanks guys Thank you so much for getting in touch. Love it. Well, there we go. The end of another episode. Episode? Episode. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed a slightly, what I hope will be a shorter episode this week. Phil, I'm so on board with doing just like two films. It gives it a bit more time, a bit more space, a bit more breathing room, isn't it? Less yeah, and I feel like it gives me a bit more fun because otherwise I run out of film stamina if I have to watch three or four in a week. Well, it's up to you, man. Well, not entirely. You're, you're, the, you're the guy behind the keys. Yeah, that is true, isn't it? Well, listeners, tell us what you thought about that. We, uh, we really enjoyed it. Give us your thoughts on baby driver we really hope both hope you go and see it so do tell us your thoughts and if anyone does go to watch in this corner of the world i'd love to know your thoughts and whether you loved it anywhere near as much as me what films are coming up spider-man must be coming out soon yeah i'm going to see spider-man homecoming on monday so i'll review that next week not feeling too confident about that i have to be honest it's just a film we've all seen before so in some ways it has a naturally low bar to get over because all it needs to do is not be terrible and have one or two things that are distinctive and interesting but for me it has to be sam raimi's one and yeah. that is a great I think that's probably one of my faves. that's getting old now man I don't think films. that many people will have seen it and they are really missing out it is, it's brilliant that and the second one are great it's got a classic feel yeah uh, but other than that it'll be the same old same old next week stay in touch let us know if you've got any burning questions any comments on the news or other films we love to hear it all yeah and do get in touch if you've seen a film for a couple of episodes back we love
love hearing your reviews, even yes. if it's a couple of weeks after. And also stay in touch on any of those discussion topics that we've been raising over the last few weeks. You know, last week's was older people in film. We love it when they're done well, hate it when they're done badly. And I think there's others as well. From Symbolism. Symbolism, yeah. Loads of stuff. <laughs> Keep your thoughts coming. It's all about the chit chat. We love it. And do send in your must scenes if you've got a suggestion for a perfect bit of a movie. Picture perfect, why not? Yeah. Okay, well, that's it, isn't it? Have a great week, listeners. I hope the weather is still nice where you are. Bye bye. Bye. I feel like my bonus list, Phil, is getting a bit thin actually because I sometimes forget to delete entries we've already covered. So it looks like there's loads there, but I don't have that much left. So I'm down to some slightly random ones. Uh, I still want to do them, <laughs> partly because I know they're really random. Do you want some of those or not? Are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this properly. <laughs> I'm talking about. Come on, man. You're ruining the flow. Have you got one? I got nothing, man. Uh, hit me with your stuff. Well, here's a few that we could do. I mean, number one on the list is taking celebrity photos to the hairdresser. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. I've got lots of experience with that. You want to just jump on that one? Yeah, I've let's do that. I've got another one here that I want to flick to you because I want you to understand the quality of bonuses that I've got left. <laughs> You're scraping uh, the barrel. You're at the bottom of well, the, no, the jar. Well, no, quite literally scraping because listen to this. I was ruminating on how sad it is when you, you know, chocolate coins. Uh-huh. So open a chocolate coin. How do you do it? Uh, use your fingernails and it gets like chocolate under yeah, your nails. Exactly. And you'll never get that, that chocolate. It's been <laughs> You've removed. wasted money. It's like tax you just on your look, chocolate I, just, coin. I found myself looking at it, yeah, in the thumbnail. I was like, that's it. That chocolate is not part of the coin. It's gone. <laughs> I felt sad about it. And it's not possible to remove the lid without getting chocolate in yeah, the Yeah, it's a bit of... Have you ever done it a bit too hard and it's gone like spiked your... Underneath? Yeah, it's oh, bad. It's, it's, it's just... So there we go. There's a whole roller coaster of emotions with chocolate coins. But what's that the celebrity is, that's what I've been reduced thing? to. Tell me about that. Oh, I just wonder whether you've done it, taken photos of celebrities. Yeah, I've in. got a folder on my phone which has got celebrity pictures on. Do you want to know who the celebrities are that I've uh, attempted to sort yeah. of pursue? Hit me. So for a while it was Zac Efron. I oh, really liked really? his. You know, I had kind of the Bieber hair when I was younger and like that oh, was you the did. big thing. That's right. And then Zac Efron had that sort of High school swoopy, swoopy thing and I thought maybe I could be a bit like uh, him. And then he cut his hair short so I used his haircut short as my next step in my hair evolution. Then I was like, no, forget this. I need to go more classic than that. Forget about Zac Efron. He's new. I want to go old school classic. And that was Robert Redford. Nice. Yeah, nicely done. But it's his hair, hair is legendary. <laughs> I realise <laughs> I do not have legendary hair. Mm. So it... I've got a lot of photos of Robert Redford with this like perfectly like dishevelled, messy, textured look. It's, he makes it look easy, doesn't he, that guy? Maybe he's, he's a lot like Brad Pitt when he was younger. So, you know, that's an uphill battle there. Exactly. But the thing is, I took loads of photos and they're all saved on my phone. So I was like flicking through. I was like, could, I, could you maybe do something like this? And well, I want to know, what's your script? Because everything you're just saying there, do you not find that you have to communicate to the hairdresser that you don't actually think you look like this person, but they never really believe you? They never believe you. And it's, it's awful because I guess they must have loads of people go in and say, I want to look like this. And it's yeah. like, never going to happen. But then I do. I know this is really embarrassing. And I just heard it's quite useful so i got some photos could i show you them this is kind of what i want to go for and i kind of flicked through and i was like i quite like this bit and then they just seem to ignore the fact that i'm going very specifically for <laughs> elements of the hair and then it becomes like uh well i'm not sure if we really can achieve that that's what yeah, that's yeah, what they said yeah, it's like yeah. well just something like that just anything remotely uh, like it's a terrible uh, heartbreaking. thing but then i've reached a new level which is not celebrity haircuts is using my own haircut as a basis for my future haircut photos of your past selves yeah do it that's I've what done, I suggest. I've, been, I've done there man i've been there i've done there i've done it uh it's a it's a roller coaster but it is quite a reliable thing to do and it you just have to ride it out man you've got to go through the awkwardness well, the thing is, is now I don't even go to the hairdresser anymore. Your wife does it for she's me. She's cut my hair last time as well. It's good, lots of compliments, actually. I think. Yeah, she's I've had lots of compliments. Well done, Jude. Well, well done, Jude. There we go. Right now, so you must give us the bonus next week, Phil. Fine. 
I just say very true or something like that. Oh, I have to say whatever you actually think to what I said. What have we been? Hold on. <laughs> just play that, man. I changed it like that. halfway through. I right? bet you better include that. You better include that. Come on. That's what would give me. I'd be ending. That's what would make me give it a B minus. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <clears throat> I only got away with that. <laughs>